So continuing on, God delights to give the prophetic word, to warn his people of various things. But again, it's not to satisfy carnal curiosity. It's not to give people needless information. It's for their ministry and for their obedience that he does these things. So he says, surely, it means truly, it's a fact that God, and in general, the true body of Christ, God wants them informed of whatever is transpiring in the world that it's going to affect them or that God's going to do certain things. Even in apostolic times, one of their New Testament prophets warned the disciples and apostles that a great famine was going to come, and it came on the Roman Empire. And it made them prepare themselves and deal with things differently. And so God can do the same on certain events that become critical or national He can warn his own that they can do what's necessary to strengthen themselves if they cannot get out of it than to live in it. The Lord either delivers us out of various things or he delivers us in it. That is his prerogative. So when Israel, in normal terms under the Old Covenant, when they were serving the Lord, the prophets confirmed God's word and encouraged them. But usually it was the priest. The prophet wasn't needed for the day-to-day dealings. The priests were the teachers and the instructors. But when they backslid and became corrupt, God sent the prophets, and they overrode the priesthood. See, that was God's balance of the system. When God brought a prophet on the scene, he could even override the law for serious situations. But see, it meant that they had failed at the normal duties, and God wasn't interested in their normal duties. It was just form and ritual, and their heart was wicked. So they needed a prophet. And they would come and warn and convict and disturb them and tell them if they didn't turn back what God was going to do to them. So see, he warned them and gave them time. He did it as a nation before he sent enemies often to destroy their systems. Lead them into captivity. He did many things against the Jew, but he'd warned them that he would do these things. And he often sent prophets at that particular time to keep warning them. But often they didn't listen, and that rested upon them. So God desires the true Christian body of Christ to know various things of future events and of present things that please him and displease him. And he desires the individual mature Christian to be led of the Spirit and know day by day what he wants. Doesn't mean we get revelation of visions of dreams. They are more on the rarer scale, but they happen because we don't live by these things. We'll find out we live by faith and trust. We go by our conscience and our spirit We don't look for signs every day. It's not needed if you're right with the Lord. Those often seeking signs are people who keep rebelling and keep sinning and are carnal and lukewarm, and their end is coming. They keep doing the gross sin. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. And they go, I'm sorry. But see, there's no true repentance. But they want a lying shepherd to tell them, oh, they're okay, you're forgiven, when there's no true repentance. So they're not forgiven. 
See, confession of sin without action is empty. Proverbs says, he that confesses his sin and forsakes it shall find mercy. So many people confess, they don't forsake. Therefore, their confession, like their lip service for the Lord, Lord, is useless. It's going to send them to hell. So that's why the Apostle James offered contrary clearing to the false teachers. Baby Christians were teaching, uh, you were saved by faith and just by a mental assent. And that Apostle James says, can that kind of faith save you? And it was rhetorical. He's saying, no, it can't. If it doesn't have actions and works, he said, it's dead. Three times he says, faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience, works, or fruits is false faith. And that's the majority of those who profess to know the Lord. Okay? They've got a false faith, and they have false grace. So the angel the end agent, he comes and he gives it to John. Verse 2, And John, who testified to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So John states or bears a witness of God's word. The testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he's going to see and did see. So here, it's not referring basically to his past apostolic witness. He was one of the twelve. He's the last of the foundation layers. No one else could fill that. Half-brother James couldn't. The apostle Paul could not. None of them could be of the twelve because they had to be three and a half years with Jesus and his earthly ministry. And they did not fulfill that condition. But they built on it, and they built greatly on the foundation. Okay, And Apostle Paul and others, even Peter, they add to and build because they have the right to do that. They expound more further on Scripture and Revelation, and it was validated by the elders and the apostles. We don't see an individual coming up with something that nobody else of the original didn't agree with. See, that's why Peter always was informing James of certain things. Not only because I think he had a little healthy respect for him and sort of feared James. But see, Peter was the chief spokesman often when the apostles were around. But James seemed to administer and run the church as a whole in Jerusalem. And when Peter wasn't there and certain things happened, he always sent to people to tell James and the elders what was going on. See, they just didn't do these things as if they were speaking and nobody else had to be worried with. See, that's why we say that even Paul, who was getting greater revelation at the time than the apostles were, he had to submit to the twelve. And we see a little bit of pride in Paul there, I think. If not, remember he told us, I have this tendency, and therefore the Lord gave me a stake in the flesh. He lets us know that, well, I'm going down to the 12, the elders, but they're not going to add nothing to me. See, he, he doesn't want us to think that they're going to enlighten him. But see, the Spirit of Christ says, you go down there because they're the foundation. And he said, and if I didn't, he said, I would run in vain. See, he understood if the 12 apostles did not validate his ministry, most of Christendom would not listen to him. They'd consider him false or ignorant, even though he knew at the time and was getting more revelation. 
So he obeyed the Lord, and it probably humbled him. But see, that's why he was given a stake in the flesh. He had the tendency to be puffed up, and God had to deal with that. But even he recognized he was not of the twelve. He couldn't be. He wasn't even saved until six to eight years or so after the resurrection of Christ. So here we have John, the last of the twelve. He's still testing apostolic ministry. We're going to find one of the churches, He can, the prophecy commends them for testing those who call themselves apostles. And he says, you found them to be liars. See, there weren't going to be any after John. John's ministry was to Ephesus. Paul had ministered. Some believe Timothy also, at one time or another, had ministered in Ephesus. But they were dead. Well, Paul and Peter was. And so John was sent into prison on the island because of his testimony and witness. And false prophets and teachers tried to creep into the church. So he's commending them, Christ is, that you've tested them. They don't meet the qualification. They have not seen the Lord. They don't know his ministry. They're teaching things that are contrary to what's already been laid. See, that's why the Lord kept John around to the end. Okay? So we see then, he's not referring now basically to his past apostolic witness, but his present ministry that got him in prison, and that he's given testimony to what the angel has brought to him from the Lord, the visions, the dreams, and so forth, the revelation. So this is what he's talking about. So he was most likely not only showed visions, some things may have been explained to him so he could clarify, but he does no teaching on it. He really doesn't expound to us. So the Lord feels the prophecy is basically, as I say, a a dictation from the Lord. And that's why it's uniquely blessed and uniquely cursed those who come against it. Okay, We'll find later those who add to the prophecy. He said God will add the plagues that are written in it. And those who take from it, he will take their name out, block their name out of the book of life. That's a strong warning. Well, that applies to all scripture in general. If you persistently come against God, false teachers, false prophets, that applies to them. But this in particular had a stronger blessing and curse with it. Okay, And so he's warning them, don't tamper with it. If you don't understand it, you don't understand it. But don't make up something or what you think you want it to be. So God, remember, when he appeared to Moses in the tabernacle and revealed things to him about how the tabernacle and the utensils and the altar and all the garments, he was shown these things and visions. And he was to relate these to those who were gifted in those talents and abilities working with gold and garment But he said something interesting. God said to him, be sure that they do it exactly as I told you. See, he's saying, I'm not leaving it to them to improvise. So if you have any question, Moses would go back and get it from God. They didn't clearly understand a certain thing. Moses would be a show this. So he could go out to these gifted 
gold work and said, well, this is how it's to be. And I can't make it, but you can. But this is what I want. And the cherubim's wings that go across the top. See, he could explain that to them, and then they could use their gift. But God was saying, you do it exactly. Because everything he showed them served as a spiritual symbol. Ultimately, most of us can report to Christ, reveal him and spiritual things. That was its purpose, to lay the foundation for what was going to come. Okay, So there's no need for men to guess and hold on to opinions here. Okay, So that's why I believe that John, if he was shown anything, he was not to share it. And maybe like Daniel, the angel may have said, just leave that alone. Let's go on. Let me show you this. So we're not told that. So we see that the epistles of the New Testament, they were written by inspired apostles and prophets. They got their personalities and traits were expressed. See, that's fine. It wasn't like the book of Revelation, which is a whole prophecy. See, even the epistles will quote scripture. Of course, it was Old Testament because that's all they had. And then they would expound on it or they would tell us where this applies here or how we go further with this in the New Covenant, or what this actually means, what its fulfillment is. See, So that was the apostolic wisdom that we see often with Paul, given opinion, and he says that I have obtained favor and wisdom. So he, he gives opinions when people have choices and tells them, well, this choice is better than this one at this time, but I'm not going to bind you to anything. I'm just given you overall wisdom, and that's what he did, okay? And so, not so with prophecy, okay? When we say, and thus saith the Lord, most prophecy, to come back to, most teachers and exhorters, they need prophecy. That just simply means their mind is inspired at that moment by the Spirit. Even instructional teachers, even Paul taught for hours and people fell asleep. Remember, the young man fell and killed himself. He may not have been exciting. It may have been all stirring up, but the Spirit was still leading him. So he was speaking things, and maybe it wasn't exciting at the time. But all teachers who are called by God, all exhorters, they at times when they teach, there should be prophecy. God takes it, and people cannot be saved unless prophecy comes into preaching and exhortation. See? He brings conviction. That comes because of prophecy. See, if you preach the true word of God, the simplicity of it, the Holy Spirit convicts. He takes the word, makes it alive, and disturbs the mind and the spirit of the sinner. But all of a sudden, they're aware something's happened now. Something's going on. See, that's prophecy. So true people cannot be truly saved unless the prophetic gift and that's what Paul said he desired above all other ministries and gifts that you should prophesy. Because if you're a mature Christian, Hebrews said you should be able to teach. And if you can teach, you can exhort. And you can give the message or preach when necessary. And he's saying, and you should be inspired. See, if you're spiritually led of the Lord. So that negates the majority of the so-called Christian teachers and preachers and ministers. Because most of them are not called by the Lord. They're called by men. They're talked into it. Their family says, oh, your brother was a minister. You should be a minister. All this bunch of nonsense. 
You're called of God or you're not. And that's why until you're a mature Christian, you can't really understand what ministry is and what God requires of you. See, that takes the prophetic word. That takes the insight of wisdom of the spirit. It has to be precise. Everybody's not called for all ministries. And only the spirit of the Lord can clarify these various ministries. So even in the New Testament, apostles and prophets, the Lord still appeared to them in dreams and visions. He didn't change. He's always done that. And see, Paul, he would make a statement, am I not an apostle, he'll say. See, they challenged him, a lot of the Jews. They never challenged James, Peter. And James wasn't even one of the twelve. They never challenged him. They didn't challenge John or Peter, but they were always challenging Paul. Okay. And that was, again, part of the demonic spirit that was attacking him and keeping him humble. See, that was a part of the process, why he had to defend himself. And he said, am I not an apostle? And what does he immediately say? Have I not seen the Lord? See, he understood to be a prophet, an apostle, you have to have the Lord appear to you in a vision or a dream and give you that ministry. See, that's what happened to the half-brother Jesus during the 40-day period from the resurrection to his ascension. The Lord appeared to James. Remember, he wasn't even a believer when Jesus was put to death. But we're not told what happened, but Jesus appeared to him. And from that time on, he was numbered with the apostles. And within a short period, he was one of the administrators of the Jerusalem church. Not because he was Jesus' half-brother. He had many things, and like Paul, he had a lot of foundation laid. And once he turned to the Lord, it was easier for them to move in to these deeper things. They had the foundation laid pretty well. So it's harder for Christians. So we can enter into this, but it still takes a true Christian a couple of years or so to get mature. shouldn't take five and ten years. And 20, something's wrong. Yeah, I've heard many people say, well, some people don't get mature until they're 30. Then they're backslidden. They're false Christians. They got the wrong gospel. It's an insult to God to say that. It means you're lazy. You haven't pursued the Lord. Don't blame it on teaching. Many people, well, we don't have good teachers. Well, you have a Bible. And if you obeyed the Lord in your personal life, he'd instruct you. But he's not going to because you're waiting around for someone to spoon feed you. That's why these people never go on with God. And some of them barely hang on to their salvation. As we say, they're saved as a but fire. But that's not commendable. Okay? Like with the Hebrews, you should be teachers by now. But you're regressing. You have to go back to the mill or the earlier mill. You hadn't even gone on to maturity, but you should have. So he he reproves them for this. Okay, so we see this prophecy is not to be tampered with. The Apostle John is not to elaborate on it. He's not to expound on it like general epistles can do. So that's what he's seeing here. But see, Christ and the Father made sure that it was John that got it. Because he's one of the twelve. That's why he got it. Didn't give it to anybody else. See, they kept him around for that very purpose. He laid the foundation. He finished it on what was needed. Book of Revelation did not help the Christian age because it wasn't written. And they were given enough. This is to reveal 
future events and things that are going to happen. Okay? It's not basically adding anything to Christian maturity. That's been done in the gospel and the apostles. Okay? So we see he will reveal, write, and speak only what is given to him. And we would say, like a thus saith the Lord. We find prophecies in the Old Testament. The main prophets, all of a sudden, they'll say, thus saith the Lord. And they are speaking verbatim what the Lord tells them. And then they may elaborate on it. And then sometimes they're given things like Jeremiah in dreams. And they have to elaborate, explain these things. But it's still prophecy. Their explanation is prophecy, see? So sometimes it's very clear, and sometimes it's not, okay? Most is given, like I say, to the apostolic and prophetic office. Most was given. The supernatural or the revelation to them was through visions, through visions, dreams, or interchangeable at times. God speaking in dreams was usually the main way that he spoke to the prophets, and it was passive. See, in an open vision, sometimes, like Daniel, he could ask questions. They didn't get the answer. When it was an open vision, a person's awake, they could sort of make a comment or say, well, do you mean this, Lord? But usually in a dream, the person's passive. God does not want them interfering. He wants them to observe what he's showing them. And that's why often it was given as symbols and signs they're easier to remember. And he still does that. The scripture calls it dark sayings, parables. He did it to Peter. He did it to Paul. Sometimes he's very clear on what he wanted. Other times he gave them dreams and symbols. That's the method that God does. It's true. A picture's worth a thousand words. He could say a little sentence and then show them something. And all of a sudden they got it. It didn't take a lot of explaining. They perceived it. And that's the reason. He enlightens their spirit by giving them spiritual wisdom and understanding. So vision are sometimes received, like we say, we call it a vision, when a person's awake and can ask questions. But dreams were often called night vision. And if you go to your concordance, sometimes they'll interchange the same word. It's sort of hard to understand if it means a vision or a dream if we try to make clarification. Sometimes they'll call it a night vision. Paul called it, and Peter, a trance sometimes. See, sometimes they didn't know if they were awake or asleep. See, they were in the in-between mode, but they were receiving a vision or prophecy. Okay, So that is the norm for those. I've heard people claim that they have the prophetic gift. I ask them, do you get dreams and visions? They say, no, you don't have the prophetic gift. Well, I'm preaching a God. Well, yeah, that's prophecy if you're speaking it. But prophecy and exhortation does not necessarily mean you have the prophetic ministry. See, people are teachers and evangelists who do not have the call of the apostle or the prophet. Yet all prophets and apostles are teachers and evangelists. See, they, but you have uh, prophets that are not apostles. See, it works down. All of those in the ministry of the word minister the word. They're all teachers. You have to be. Therefore, the false shepherds and false preachers today. I mean, people tell me, well, I only preach the salvation message. Then you're preaching a false gospel. See? That's why you got stupid people 
who all they talk about is I got saved. They don't know nothing else because you gave them a false gospel. See? A person who exhorts, we can call the exhorter, the preacher, he better know what he's exhorting. Did you know the whole book of Hebrews, Paul called a short epistle, a short exhortation. Isn't that astounding? Took me an hour and a half to read it, and that was not even breaking it down and pondering it. I was curious one time, so I just read. He said he called this a short exhortation, okay? So we see all of the ministry, if you're mature, if you're able to teach, if you minister the word, then all of them have to be teachers. It's like someone said one time, very simple illustration. The thumb is the represents the apostle. The forefinger, because it points, that's the prophetic. He accuses, he rebukes, he reproves. The middle finger is the longest. It's the evangelist. He reaches out to the world. The ring finger, that's the pastor, the shepherd. He's married to the local flock. And then the little one is the teacher. But all the other rest on him. If you put your hand down sideways, the whole hand rests on the baby finger. So everything these fivefold ministries do rest on teaching. See? You got to have teaching. So everyone above has to be a teacher. There are no evangelists who preach the gospel who are not teachers. They're false teachers. See? Oh, I've met them. I've talked to them over the 50 years I've been in the Lord. Oh, I just don't believe in getting people saved. I just believe it. Well, you don't understand. They're not going to say saved. And most of what you're giving them is false and stupid because you're not giving them the whole counsel of God. But if they get saved, they may or may not. Well, any little secret, they're not going to stay saved because they need to grow in the milk of the word. And if you don't know how to teach, that can't happen. See? They're again into a false form. And that's how many millions of people so-called came to the Lord. And that's why 20 and 30 years later, they're no different. And they don't mature and they don't go on. And I don't believe they're Christians anymore. I'm sorry. I just don't accept it. I'll give people a couple of years. I don't know where they're at. Praise the Lord. If they say they got saved, good for them. But when someone tells me they've been saved after 10 or 15 years and they don't even know the foundations of what a baby does, no. If you were saved, you're not saved anymore. You forfeited it. You stopped growing. You didn't drink the milk of the word and mature. That's how I have to see it from what I perceive in Scripture. It can't give false assurances. False assurance leads people to hell. Stir people up. It's better to scare them than to let them be deceived. A little bit of fear of the Lord is good for all of us. And the apostles and Jesus used it. Jesus taught, and we figure out, 39 to 40 parables. 25% of them had to do with judgment and hell. He wasn't afraid to relate these things, was he? Okay. So we see then that God still speaks to Christians and those who have apostolic, those who have prophetic ministries. He still will speak to them in dreams and visions. Why? He said when he poured out his spirit, your old men would dream dreams and your young men would see visions. I've had people debate me and say, well, I know that person's filled with the Spirit because they speak in tongues. I said, well, that's wonderful. Sometimes I speak in tongues. I said, do they, do they prophesy? Do they get dreams? Well, no. Well, I don't think they're filled with the Spirit. I, just, I purposely disturb them because Joel said they would. So if you claim to be filled with the Spirit, how come the emphasis isn't on spiritual dreams or visions rather than speaking in tongues? See? 
shows you people's ignorance. Okay? So he speaks then. Usually, again, it's for that ministry, and it don't happen. Even those with prophetic gifts, they may not get a dream of vision for months on end. It may not be needed. Well, that's God's business. He sets the time and seasons. We don't dictate, and we don't drum up things. This the false soothsayer and the fortune-telling spirit that drums up a spirit. You don't drum up the Holy Spirit. You prepare yourself and seek him, and if he chooses not to speak, you don't look for something. You wait his timing. But soothsayers and fortune-tellers, if they've got a real demon spirit, they'll drum him up, and that spirit will accommodate him because he likes to see people. Holy Spirit don't work that way. You don't dictate to him, okay, I need a dream. I need a vision. No, you know, come here and give it to me. It just doesn't work that way. Okay? So we see then, in general, he gives these things when he's calling people to ministry, sustaining their ministry, when Christians are going to great conflicts or warfare, when they're under great persecution or tribulation. There's when he gives more of this to confirm them because they're under greater trouble and stress. See, he doesn't do these just to tickle people's ear or to satisfy the curiosity. Yet yet he always speaks to the Christian that's in his will. He speaks in his by his witness to his conscience. That's the main way God uses the Christian. The Christian studies the word of God. He rightly handles it. The spirit shows him how. And then he deals with his conscience. That's the main form. Uh, he speaks by impressions. He he gives us words and confirmation. Well, we are praying over something, and all of a sudden we get a scripture or something. See, that's the Spirit speaking. Scriptural confirmation he gives, and providence. See, that's when God works outside of us. We may be praying about something, and a certain thing in providence happens, and it catches our attention. And we say, oh, that's either the Lord, or I need to pray about this. Is he telling me to consider this? And so that's what we do. And that's how God works at times. Uh, we call it circumstances of providence. God goes ahead, and he's setting things, and we got to be there to move into it when he's ready. Yet our daily lives is a walking by faith and trust. It's not by the seeing of the eyes the feelings of the emotions, or any kind of sign uh, we're seeking. That's what the immature seeks, and God's not interested in giving it to them. See, he's not interested in accommodating. He wants them to grow up. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. Therefore do not lose heart, even though our outward man the human body and soul, is perishing. It's getting old and dying. Yet the inward man, the renewed spirit of the Christian, is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment. Our whole Christian life, as James said, is as a a puff of steam. Seems long to us, but what 70 to 90 years compared to eternity, okay? He calls it a light affliction, our tribulations, our warfare, our trouble. It is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Every, the least we do, given a cup of cold water, the least we do for any Christian in the right spirit, God keeps records. He's a perfect judge. 
He rewards the wicked for every idle word, and he rewards the righteous for every deed they do in the right spirit. See, he remembers these things. That's justice. Punish the wicked, reward the righteous. The Hebrews says, God's not unjust to forget what you've done for the body of Christ, the saints. See, it says it would be unjust of God not to reward the Christian. Oh, he may not get it in this life, but he's going to get it. So every little thing we do, we might spend, of course, eternity cannot be compared. We get a million years of pleasure with the Lord. See, there's no comparison because it doesn't end. So how do you compare one little thing when you live for eternity? And all of that sums up and says, look at the great reward we get for every little thing we do. And he gives rewards in different measures. As he punishes the hypocrite in hell, the lake of fire, more than the normal sinner, those who are sacrificing and suffer for the gospel more and obey the Lord more, they're going to get a greater reward in heaven, whatever that consists of. Okay? While we do not look at the things which are seen, the outward, circumstances in general, every day what we deal with and see. But we look at the things which are not seen. We're dealing in the spiritual realm. For the things which are seen are temporarily. They only deal with this life, and this life's going to pass away. See, that's why often you don't give signs. Signs and wonders never make a person spiritual. They have no spiritual value permanently to the spirit. Only the word ministry does that. Isn't that astounding? That's why God gives the great authority to the word ministry. Apostles first, prophets second, then the evangelists, pastors, and teachers come in the third because they're teachers. They have first that authority. All the other ones deal with basically the natural body and the outward world, and so it does not go into the next kingdom. The word of God is eternal. Its benefits are eternal. Children of Israel saw the greatest signs and they were lost as a whole. So it didn't help them a bit in the long run because they were rebellious and disobedient. They didn't obey the word to obey him. See, they'd put the word before the signs and wonders. They may have made it, many of them. Okay. So for the things which are seen are of the temporal world, of the natural world, I could say. But the things which are not seen, they are eternal. See, they're eternal because they're of Christ. He's the eternal life, the eternal spirit, and we have him in us. Then when we make it to heaven, we have everlasting eternal life. Here on earth, eternal life is in question. It's a probation. We have eternal life as a Christian as long as we stay with the Lord. But when we cross over into heaven, it's permanent. It's everlasting eternal life. So we're not told to seek signs. We seek God's will, and doing thus, if he chooses to confirm it, again, his way. I would have to say in 50 years, I've seen, seen a few hundred, not bragging, just stating a fact, of dreams, of various visions and dreams. Never once did I ever ask that God speak to me in a dream or a vision, because I don't believe you do that. He does it for ministry's sake and the purposes that he has, okay? See, people like to run back to the guy who fleeced God, the one who put out the fleece, Gideon. Well, see, they didn't have the Spirit of the Lord. God permitted certain things from them that he doesn't permit us to do. See, he didn't know how to hear from the Lord as well. He wasn't a prophet. 
And so God answered him. And sometimes God offered a sign to people. And one time he offered it, and the person sort of made little of it, and God got angry with him. You're going to challenge me is basically what God was saying. Here, I'm offering to give you a sign, and you're minimizing. So God does as he pleases. But again, he will speak. And how he chooses to speak is for the Christian to find out and accept God's way of dealing. So we're not told to seek signs. We're to seek God's will. And then he will confirm it, encourage it, correct it as he chooses. And I can honestly say in the many dreams I received from the Lord, there's a good portion of them that were reproofs and rebukes and corrections. And sometimes after you've been dealt with, you say, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have heard from the Lord. Maybe that dream I could have bypassed if I could have controlled it. But see, it don't. Because he does all of these things to suit us. One more in closing. Psalms 27 verse 5. Open rebuke is better than love that is concealed. Open rebuke. So even a sharp reproof from the Lord is better than nothing. It's better than not hearing from the Lord. It's better. Because then you know God's doing something. And if he reproves and corrects us, he's already revealed that he's chasing us, so he still loves us. We're still his. It's when he doesn't do anything and doesn't ever give us anything, we need to question where we are in the Lord. We're either walking on water and have attained perfection, or we're in disobedience. The Lord give us wisdom, give us practical application in the end times that we're entering into. In Jesus' name, amen.